0: Hey people, this is A Before we get started this week, I wanted to share with you the progress on the Godsfall World Book, as well as a special announcement for all of our Kickstarter backers. Final design and layout of the book is in progress, and you can view some chapter previews right now on our website at godsfall.com worldbook, while Kickstarter and Patreon supporters will be getting a special PDF preview of some select pages. In addition to the book preview, we also have a gallery of original Worldbook art on display and will post continuous updates as we take pre orders and prepare the Worldbook, maps, and character sheets for print. Along with the original races, divinities, maps, artwork, magic items, creatures, and optional rules of the Worldbook, Kickstarter backers and pre orders will be receiving a free PDF of the first official God's Fall supplement into the Ironwood. In this adventure, you'll follow Autumn Neal and a band of highly skilled elven guardians as they search for the reason behind the rash of intrusions by yeti descending from the spine of the world. The adventure includes original maps, character sheets, and art detailing the woods and mountains of Brennis's northern peninsula that the wild elves call home. I'll be recording every paragraph of descriptive text as full audio clips with the same production and sound effects as the podcast. Here's an example of what you can expect. The foothills of the Spine of the Sea. Just past the mouth of the flow is a wide, snow-packed clearing that is present year long continuously, magically generated by the mountain itself. In the summer, it melts at a constant rate, as it is now, swelling the frigid waters below. The entire western face of the spine of the world has been carved into thousands of thin, snaking ruts where trickles of water have eaten away at the stones. The sound generated by 10,000 tiny rivers of magical snowmelt creates an unnatural calm in the area, relaxing all who pass through it. As your party ascends, you encounter a clearing, a wide bowl with high sloping edges continuously filling with soft, unpacked snow. The temperature has dropped some 50 degrees in less than a couple hundred feet of elevation, and melt runoff has ceased entirely. As you lift your foot free from the thick snowdrift, the holes they leave fill within seconds, erasing all trace of your passage. There are half a dozen boulders dotted about this area, each covered in a thick shell of snow. A few thin, stunted ironwoods, no taller than 30 feet, are scattered about here as well. To reserve your copy of the World Book and sign up for pre-purchase notifications, you can also get the free bonus PDF into the Ironwood. Check out godsfall.com slash worldbook. And with that out of the way, let's get back to the show. My name is Aram. Welcome back to God's Fall. God's Fall is a custom Dungeon and Dragons game that is played and recorded in Washington, D.C. and written and produced in Chicago. The History of God's Fall Chapter 4 The Races of God's Fall for millennia, the gods treated Gun as their personal laboratory. Some combined their divinities with magic in order to carve beings to their exact likeness. while others experimented by hyper-evolving animals into various races of sentient creatures. The races of Man, Halfling, and Giyadari followed similar paths, each chosen by a god or gods from a previously non-sentient creature, and hyper-evolved over a few short centuries into what they are now. Dozens of such creatures showed little promise and were summarily destroyed. But these three found their way into the world. The Giyudari. For a time when there was still essence from the creation of the original four remaining in the universe, the gods fused these cosmic building blocks with their own divinity to breathe life into the races of Khawgan. One of these creations was the Giyudari. Standing on average over 8 feet tall, with thick fur-covered bodies that frequently weigh up to 400 pounds, the Gyudari are a direct product of divine tinkering, an evolutionary what-if of what humanity might have become. The speed of the Gyudari belies their hulking girth. Though made humanoid through powerful magic, they have lost little of their primate agility. Added to this is their astonishing fortitude. Giudari scouts will frequently drop 30 feet from the tree line to surprise their prey and can leap from tree trunk to tree trunk with ease. Once they broke free of their craters, the Giudari were chased and persecuted across the continent of Wessel. Humans hounded them through the gloom and into the southern wetlands, only to have trolls take up the assault once in the sand hills the orcs of clan Deathhammer hammer savage their numbers nearly to extinction it was then that ova the goddess of beasts took pity on the giudari leading them to their tropical sanctuary hidden deep within the heart of the coal spire. ova sent spirit animals to guide the Gyudari on a path of harmony with their new paradise. And they have fiercely guarded against trespassers ever since. The Gyudari remain few in number. Less than a thousand currently live in seclusion within their oasis. While a trio of clans has emerged to help order their society, they operate more as a large extended family than they do separate groups. The Makers The largest of the three clans is tasked with guarding and maintaining their hidden kingdom. They are hunters, gatherers, builders, craftsmen, warriors, and caretakers which see to the daily upkeep and supply of their society. The Seers. This clan represents those tasked with planning the future of the Gyudari. They commune with their valley and those who live within to decide which trees to harvest, which animals to hunt, and which of the Watchers are destined to rule. The Watchers The smallest of the three clans, the Watchers are tasked with ruling their brethren and setting and enforcing the laws of their people. Their ranks are set by the visions of the Seers, who gather every ten years to decide if changes and additions to this hierarchy need to be made. The Elves Born from raw energy filtered down to the roots of great ironwood trees, elves were the first race of mortal creatures not born directly from a god's hand to set foot upon Kalgun. They are long-lived A thousand years of age is not uncommon, especially among the wild elves. And that immensity of life makes it challenging to form bonds with mortals from other races. And it is not just their long life which marks them as alien. When a couple, group, or individual elf wish to raise a child, they go into the forest and ask it for one. If a tree wishes it, a child is granted. The elves then meditate under this new birth tree, And when their spirits return, they are greeted with a newborn elf. Or, in very rare cases, a pair of newborns, swaddled in ironwood leaves. (coughs) Elves are forever linked with their birth trees and tend to keep the exact location of their trees a family secret, even among their own kind. There is good reason for such caution. Should a birth tree ever be felled, the elves born to it will die along with it. The secret is not unknown to the other races of man, but only elves possess the ability to sense each other's birth trees. A birth tree can call out if it is threatened, alerting any elf within a half-mile radius to the danger. All elves, regardless of tribe or background, will rally to the defense of any birth tree that puts out this call. Elves do not possess genitalia. Slightly more than half of elves present as female and grow breasts because while elves reproduce asexually, they still breastfeed. Elves have sex through intense physical contact. An easy way to describe it is that foreplay is sex and their skin, lips, and tongue their sex organs. All physical contact between elves, sexual or not, can generate intense feelings and emotional bonds that survive their millennia of life. Elves can share this intense physical contact with other humanoids. Elves also develop intense connections and basic understanding of animals and other creatures through touch. Um Providing them with advantage on animal handling checks if they make physical contact with the animal. Wild elves can carry this bond even further, allowing them to innately understand and communicate with animals with whom they have had frequent physical contact over a period of at least a week. Because of their ability to feel so intensely, elves are also at disadvantage when making constitution saving throws due to physical pain. They are also far more affected by the loss of a friend or loved one and must make a constitution save should such an event occur or immediately take on levels of exhaustion. When the elves grew wary of the dwarves' constant warring and stole the secrets of magic from them, the raw cosmic forces fundamentally changed those involved. The clan that carried out the theft was banished from the protective canopy of the forest and cast into the blinding heat of the desert. The gods cursed them for their treachery, draining the pigment from their skin and hair until they stood white as ghosts with eyes of bright crimson. The Sun Elves of Caugun have wandered the dunes in relative seclusion ever since. The High Elves who took charge of this magic were also changed as the lore of divinity called them away from the powers of land and nature. They left their woods willingly, building grandiose stone towers far secluded from both the lands of man and the shadowed glens of their inner forests. Most of the elves remained in the woods of their birth as steadfast protectors of all life within. They are fierce guardians and will not shy away from killing intruders. Though most are simply chased off. Wild elves never take prisoners. The idea of robbing a sentient creature of their freedom through bondage is abhorrent to their very nature. Usually shorter than their high elf and sun elf cousins, wild elves are much darker than their pale brethren, a deep bronze to brown. Their hair is darker as well, ranging from brown to black, though red is not uncommon. Their eyes are yellow, green, blue, and every combination in between. They have exceptionally long ears that can shift and rotate to focus in on a sound, much like the ears of a cat, providing them with exceptional hearing. They are sturdy and healthy from their close association with the forest, and enjoy a natural resistance to plant-based toxins but those are not the only elves of Kal'Gun. Unknown to nearly all among the five kingdoms, the clans of elves who infest the dark and humid jungles of the wild were not always the creatures of fear and violence they are now. They were once a group of nomadic scholars who moved their entire civilization once per generation in order to completely document a new section of their world. A century before the gods war, they established the city of Zolm along the shores of Eastern Brennus and set about recording and experimenting on everything they could find. A decade into their research, a team stumbled across a large stone arch nearly a hundred feet high. They were shocked to discover the arch was not made up of many blocks stacked together, but a single massive piece of stone carved and set into position as if it was grown from the earth. Further investigation revealed glyphs etched along the entire structure in thin lines that would flare silver when exposed to magics. The elves, believing they had uncovered artifacts as old as the formation of the world, poured a huge amount of time and energy into discovering everything they could about the arch. Unable to decipher any of the glyphs, they focused on channeling more and more magical energy into the arch to try and activate its ancient power. One day, they were successful. The land trembled for miles around the arch as dazzling light exploded from the center in a burst of pink and purple clouds. This dazzling nebula crackled for only a few seconds and was then sucked back into the arch, forming a shimmering gateway to a world far beyond kao After some initial testing that confirmed what lay before them was indeed a portal, Several of the elves volunteered to be the first to explore and document this new land. While they were gone only a few hours, they came back changed. A change that quickly spread to the others. Gaunt and pale, even for elves, the search party brought back a terrible curse that slowly and inexorably turned them all into living vampires. Blood elves are physically savage creatures that need to consume a pint of blood every day in order to retain their strength and sanity. The disease heightens their physical abilities while clouding the mind and quickening their temper. The Dwarves (music) Dwarves were the second mortals to set foot upon Khawgun, born from the minds, hands, and divinity of Repel, the god of magnetism, and Iponia, the goddess of invention, who carved them from solid rock with powerful magics. The dwarves were innate builders and set about reshaping Khawgun with vast aqueducts, towering statues, impossible bridges, and other monumental feats of engineering, many which still exist and function to this day. Despite all their wonders, the dwarves grew jealous of the elves in their millennia of life and demanded access to magic in order to grow their creations ever taller and more magnificent. Atuna, the goddess of magic, granted their wish, provided that the dwarves set aside time each morning or evening to prey upon their request and ask for their magic anew. With these forces at hand, the dwarves built structures and machines even the gods had never thought of. Clockwork constructs and great flying transports powered by magically generated steam dominated both land and air. As they muscled even the great giants and dragons to the far corners of the world. Once the great creatures had been neutered, the dwarves set about putting all the lands of Khawgun under their command. The elves grew weary of the dwarves' constant warfare and stole the secrets of magic from them, teaching these ancient rituals to the other races of man in an effort to restore balance to the world. Enraged, several clans of dwarves united to declare themselves the enemy of all mortals, and the Hundred Years' War began. Many clans of dwarves remain hostile to other races. A few only tolerate the elves, whom they see as the only other truly thinking creatures of Gun. Only the dwarves of the Voiceless Peaks and the worshippers of Aris and Vel'Duram see themselves as part of a larger society of creatures instead of their natural betters. The most vocal for this mad charge of conquest were the new leaders of Gaul-Hadir. The clan structure of Gaul-Hadir is quite rigid with the people valuing ingenious mechanics and gem crafting above all other pursuits. Stoneworkers are as highly praised among their ranks as any dwarf in society, but they lean towards very clean and simple designs. They respect the efficiency of the work. All else is simple decoration. The Dwarves of Gaul-Hadir occupy a city encompassed by a massive fortress at the center of the spidering Kalakai Mountains. The fortress city is run by Clan Stoneburner, an insular family of dwarves that vanished from the city over 300 years ago, only to return wielding strained magics and advanced technologies. Since their restoration and resulting ouster of Clan Calamor, King Thoric Stoneburner has ruled by strength, driving the city towards war and genocide with every opportunity. Those who stood against the king or criticized his actions soon found their fortunes and lives threatened. After their last world conquest met with defeat at the hands of the god-king, King Stoneburner turned his focus inward, maximizing production and mining of raw elements as well as clockwork and airship technology using magically produced steam. This has led to a demand for Ironwood, a difficult commodity for a city of xenophobic, warmongering dwarves to negotiate from an equally private group of wild elves. Official sales of Ironwood to Kadar are forbidden, but those who go around the law are handsomely rewarded with the outlandish price of a platinum per pound of wood. As a rule, non-dwarves are not permitted within the city proper though all are allowed to sell and trade at the open bazaar that snakes along the long, winding climb to the city gates. Chased out of their mountain home by Clan Stoneburner, the dwarves of Clan Calamore left the north completely and eventually founded the city of Vel Duram in the south of Wessel, at the top of the Lygon Mountains. They were again cast out as the Qadarian army ransacked the country during the last great war, obliterating their proud city stone by stone as they were cast into the waters below. Over the past five decades the survivors who earned or fought their way out of slavery gathered here once again and set about rebuilding their city, retrieving and replacing each stone from the base of a pounding waterfall. Despite the difficulty, they have worked quickly and the peaks once again hum with Dwarven song. The Dwarves of Calamor are a warm and friendly lot, eager to forge partnerships with locals and to entertain travelers with music and stories. They prize song and prose over all else, but are also known as talented stoneworkers, engineers, and brewmasters. They frequently sponsor traveling royal bards to spread tale of their kingdom and to celebrate their history and lineage. But not all of their kind are quite so generous. Several lords of Tarsus rule the mining houses that quietly manipulate political power in Rhizon's capital city of Capenya. Though their old kingdom was demolished during the God's War and nearly all of their kind buried along with it, those who survived laid claim to a titanic vein of gold that erupted to the surface of (laughs) Calgun. Tending toward stoutness, dark skin, and flamboyant red and orange hair, the clans of Mount Tarsus adorn their palace-like mansions in gold leaf and their bodies in the richest fabrics money can secure. Their master weavers spend hundreds of hours crafting draped cotton garments that are still translucent at eight layers, and colorful wool shawls so fine that they can easily be drawn through a wedding ring. Officially, the clans take no position in the affairs of Rhizan politics, competing with one another through garish displays of wealth and charity. Behind the scenes, they quietly bribe city officials with large donations to their political campaigns. While they continue to lend support to the Dwarves of Gaul-Hadir, they have no interest in conquest, only profit. And being on the winning side should that conquest be successful. The Dwarves of Brennus, however, stand vigilant to make sure that victory never comes to pass. Their ancient kingdom of Delvedar is the largest fortified mountain city ever built, and the only walls aside from knees that have never been breached. They are loyal to the crown of Brennus, and deeply entwined both in affairs of the court and coin across the kingdom. The hills and valleys that surround their mountains are zealously guarded against intrusion and disruption, allowing the many towns and farms that populate the north to exist in peace. As raids from the wild jungle clans of humans to the south grew in number and brutality, Clan Shieldwall volunteered to establish a fortress at the foot of Titan's Ridge and secure the Crimson Hills. Carved from blocks of the copper-stained hills surrounding them, the Red Fort serves as city, garrison, and trade post for their tribe and marks the last civilized settlement in the kingdom of Brennus. The dwarves of Clan shield wall are legendary in battle. issuing weapons for hand-to-hand combat, their soldiers wield masterfully crafted full-plate and dual tower shields. Through years of training, entire columns can form synchronized walls of solid steel to repel any assault, while powerful ballista, trebuchet, and mechanical crossbow repeaters rain death from above. God's Fall is written, produced, and edited by myself, Aram Vartian. If you want up to the minute information about the podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at @GodsFallDC. DC. Special thanks to our good friends at BattleBards for giving us access to their incredible catalog of richly produced sounds. Be sure to check them out at BattleBards.com. And a special thanks to all of our loyal Patreon supporters. Without you, this show could not continue. If you'd like to support God's Fall, get access to exclusive Patreon supporter content, and get episodes of Season 3 before they're released publicly, head over to Patreon.com slash God's Fall. That's all from us this week. We have original maps, art, character sheets, and more on our website at godsfall.com, as well as links to our Patreon account and official Godsfall t-shirts. So see you next time in the world of the five kingdoms.